some more prayer requests. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for being so good. Thank you, God, for the grace that is, Lord, that we just can't even understand, Father, mercy that is truly beyond measure, the love that we won't ever be able to comprehend that you, while we're yet sinners that you would die. God, that you would take time, Lord, that, that learning to lean. I, Lord, I can't remember the last time I sang that song or even heard that song, Lord, but it kind of brought a new light as Tim talked about it, of learning to lean and all the times that we've been through and some hard times and trials. And God, it truly does teach us to lean on you. And thank you, Father, that you're always there, that we can lean on you, that we can come to you in prayer. You told us we could come boldly into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy, God. I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the love letter that you've written us, God. I pray you take it and teach it to us tonight. I pray you'd help us to learn something about you, Father, that would make us be a better servant, Lord. And if it could be even possible to love you even more than we already do. God, I pray most of all that you'd be pleased in everything that we do. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I usually study all day on Wednesdays. That hadn't happened today, so y'all bear with me, do best we can. Fortunately, I had a lot of time yesterday. We have been in Acts chapter 7. We've been looking at Stephen's rebuttal. He's been brought on trial by the Sanhedrin council. He's been accused of blasphemy, blasphemy against the law of Moses, blasphemy against the temple because he said those things weren't eternal. <laughs> he, he's reminded them about how... God has sent the Redeemer. If you remember, we looked at Joseph and, and the parallel between Joseph and Jesus. And Joseph is probably the, the greatest parallel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And he reminds them of how Joseph, Joseph was rejected by his own, but then how God used him to deliver him later on in life. And how he was seated at the right hand of the king. He was married to a Gentile bride. And, and when his sons came to him, how the dream was fulfilled. Then Stephen moved on to remind him of Moses. Remember, we started back with Abraham. We come through Joseph, moved to Moses. Moses is one of the very ones that he is accused of blasphemy against, talking about the law, because he says that the, the law of Moses has run its course. And it, was, it was had its season. That was the dispensation period of the law. And now we've moved on to the dispensation period of grace. And he's trying to explain to them that, that the law is no longer in effect in the way that it was, that we're now operating under grace. In verse number 26, we saw the two Hebrew men were arguing, and Moses tried to stop them and be the peacemaker there. And, and one of the guys, he, he, the one that had offended the other one, he, he says, Who are you? In verse number 28 of Acts chapter 7, he says, Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? If you remember, Moses has made a choice, a willful choice, to leave Pharaoh's palace, to leave the comforts of the palace. He, he would have had every right to have sat on a throne one day there in Egypt, but he has chosen to come inside with God's people. He is a Hebrew. He is a child of God. He belongs with the Hebrews, and he has chosen to come on their side, and he went to defend one of his Hebrew brethren and ended up killing an Egyptian guard. And so now that it was his brother here said, so Will you kill me the way you did the Egyptian yesterday? Verse number 20, 29 says, Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. I'm not going to read all the verses for the sake of time tonight. We'll just kind of cover them as we go. Uh, so Moses was sent to the Hebrew people to deliver them. There, there's a great parallel here 
Um, certainly, it's opened my eyes a lot just kind of looking and studying the parallel between Moses and, and Jesus. Moses was sent to deliver the Hebrew people. He, he was sent by blood. Both of his parents were Hebrews, so in the blood, he was the same as them. Um, he was saved through the waters of the Nile. If you remember, we've already looked at that, how all the babies were being cast into the Nile, killed, but yet God used the Nile to save him. He was raised in Pharaoh's house by Pharaoh's own daughter. He's in position to sit on the throne as, as a royalty there in Egypt, but he's chosen to remove himself from that throne to side himself with God's people, but he was rejected by his own. Verse number 29 Moses has fled to the backside of the Midian desert. The delivery of God's people is postponed, just like it is with Jesus. Moses could have been used by God to have delivered God's people then. God had already heard their prayer. God had already heard their outcry. And he had raised up a Savior. He had raised up a kinsman redeemer in Moses. He had brought him up. And at that time, Moses could have delivered God's people but they rejected their own. So now it's on the backside, and now their, their delivery is going to be postponed for 40 years. The number 40 in the Word of God always represents trials and testing. So all they did by rejecting the kinsman redeemer that God sent was postpone their delivery. So now they had to stay in captivity for another 40 years. That's the point that Stephen is driving home here. God has not abandoned his people forever. He sends Moses to another land. He teaches him some other things there. He lets the Hebrew children reap the fruit of rejecting the one that, Jesus, that God had sent. So in the meantime, Moses is over here learning another way of life. He grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He didn't grow up a, a sheep herder. He didn't grow up a, a farmer or a shepherd out in the field. So he's on the backside of the desert. He's learning a new way of life. He, he marries a Gentile bride. He, um, he has a heart for his people. He, he stepped down because he loved the people. He loved the Hebrew people, the Hebrew nation. He stepped down to them. He loved his people, but yet his home is a long way away. Y'all keep the parallels going with Jesus right here. He loves his people, but he's in a land a long ways away. He's over on the backside of the Midian Desert. One thing that Moses has done is he's changed his life forever. Once he left that throne room area, once he left the throne of Pharaoh, that, that royal palace, once he went down and sided with his people, there's no going back to the way it was. There's no going back to what it used to be. So he, he's gone to the other side. He has the Gentile wife. God gives him a couple of sons. And Moses is gone for a season, but Moses will be back. Now, Moses, of course, doesn't know it at the time. We learn that when we see him in the burning bush. But he'll be back to deliver God's children from bondage. We consistently see the parallels that Stephen is making with Jesus. The rejection of Christ is about to come full circle. We'll see just not much further along in our study how they kill Stephen. That is the complete rejection of Christ. He's doing all he can right here to the Sanhedrin Council to try to explain to them, to get them to see who Christ is and, and what they've done and, and see how they, they're reaping the fruit of their rejection of how they rejected Joseph and 
That came back around, how he rejected Moses. That came back around. He's trying to get him to see you've rejected Jesus, but you don't have to. There's still time. So Jesus, the same as Moses, Jesus has a heart for his people. He sent the Holy Spirit back. He started the church. He hasn't forgotten about his people. He hasn't forgotten about the Jew. He hasn't forgotten about Israel, the Hebrew nation, his original people. He hasn't forgotten about them. We're just in, it is the postponed kingdom right now. I've, I thought about doing a study on that a little while back. I spent a lot of time last year studying the postponed kingdom. I actually had to do a paper for it for one of my college classes. But um, the postponed kingdom is, is still what we're in. The kingdom isn't forgotten. God hasn't forgotten the promise made to Abraham. He's still going to keep the promise. It's just been delayed because they rejected the one that God sent to him. So Jesus has stepped down out of glory. He has sided with his people. He has stepped down from his position on the throne, just like when Moses came out of the throne room. He has taken on the form of a man. He has come to this earth and sided with his people here. But, but just like Moses, there's no going back to the way it was. The Son of God took on the form of a man. The Son of God came down. He learned what it felt like to feel pain. God had never felt pain. God, God had never been rejected. God had never been beaten. God had never been spit on. See, God knows what we're going through and the things that Tim was talking about. He knows what we're going through because God himself and the flesh of Jesus Christ has gone through those things now. So he took on the form of a man. It changed heaven forever. It changed everything forever when God himself became flesh. But it gave him a true understanding. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows exactly how you feel because he took it on. And he's felt those things himself. But now that he has been rejected by his own, he has taken his battle-scarred body and gone back to the Father's house. Thank you for the scars, Lord. Verse number 30, 40 years were expired. There appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of a fire in a bush. And the angel of the Lord here is just another uh, picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There's lots of appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. Verse 31, Moses saw it. He wandered at the sight as he drew near to behold it. The voice of the Lord came unto him. So the time has come for the kinsman redeemer to go back and get God's children. Only this time, there ain't going to be any stopping him. The first time, he was rejected, and, and he had to go. But when he goes back this time, God's going to see to it that his children are delivered. Verse 32, God, the Lord says to the Lord, they're speaking from a burning bush, that I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. And the Lord said unto him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. Moses was a sinful man just like you and I. There's no parallel there in Christ. Christ was only perfect when Moses was just like you and I. He had his faults. He had his failures. There were a lot of things that Moses had to learn in life. He had to learn what it meant to, to stand in the presence of a holy God. God said, when you stand in my presence, it's holy ground. Take your shoes off. The holiness of God was the whole basis for which the judgment was about to be brought against Egypt because Egypt is the one that was, that was being ruthless to God's people. So God told Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. See, that, that's not something Jesus had to learn. Jesus already knew about the holy ground. There, there, there were different things learned. I, I don't know that I can say 
rightfully that, that God learned anything. That, that sounds a little weird to say that God learned something, but I don't, I don't know how else to say it. God could not have known how your hurt hurt until he hurt. God could not have known how your pain felt until he felt pain. He couldn't have known how it hurt to lose a son until he had lost a son. He couldn't have known how it felt to be rejected until he had been rejected. So Moses had to learn some things about the holiness of God. Jesus learned some things about the pain that we go through as men. So he loves us. So there's so much compassion. That's how he knows what it is that we're dealing with. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus came from the very throne room of God. He knew all about this holiness. After the cross, he took his blood, went into behind the veil, into the holy of holies, and sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat of God there in between the cherubim and, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So he knows about the holiness. But when Jesus comes back as the kinsman redeemer, it's going to be like Moses when he came back to get the children out of Egypt. There's not going to be any stopping him when he comes back. When he comes back the next time, the story's written and the story won't be changed. It's a settled issue. Verse 34, he says, I've seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. The, the purpose here is not just that God is going to send judgment on Egypt, although that's about to happen. But the purpose is because God loves his people. He's showing his love for his people. He's, he's showing by telling us, I heard their prayer. Somebody's going to need to hear this. I heard their prayer. I've been hearing their prayer for a long time. I sent them an answer one time, and they didn't want the answer I sent. So I've let them sit, and they're suffering for a little while. They've had to learn to lean a little bit more. They spent 40 more years of learning how to lean. I'm going to send the Redeemer back again. I'm going to send them back to get them. So it is to bring some judgment on Egypt, on the picture of the world, but it, the main reason for coming back is to show how much he loves his own. When Jesus comes back, he'll be coming back. It's just like with Moses. He's just like with Joseph. He'll have a Gentile bride. The Gentile bride will be the church. Well, I'll get to that in just a minute. Let me just move on to verse. No, I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it now. I'm going to do it now. If I move on to verse, I won't make it back. Revelation chapter 19 Verse 11 says, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. His clothes was dipped in a, uh, his clothes, clothes with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. All of you better learn how to ride. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When Christ comes to make his final return, it's not just to bring judgment on the earth. It's to show his children how much he loves them is to fulfill the promise when he comes back the final time. It is to fulfill the promise made to Abraham by God. Stephen is trying to make a point here to show how Israel over the years has repeatedly rejected everyone that God sent to him. Stephen has drawn the lines here. He's drawn the parallel. 
starting with Abraham, and he's, he's shown them how Joseph was like Jesus, was rejected, but was sent by God. And given a picture up front, he's shown how Moses was like Jesus. He was rejected, and how he brought him back, and God used him for a deliverer. And he's just trying to get them to see who Jesus Christ is. In verse number 35, this Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee ruler and a judge? Remember, that's what they said 40 years ago when he had to leave. It says, The same did God send to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel, which appeared to him in the bush. When they rejected Moses, they rejected the Savior that God himself had sent to them. Y'all ready for another parallel? God didn't have another Savior in mind. There wasn't another Moses. He hadn't hid another child in the Nile. He hadn't raised up another one. God had raised one up. He had brought one in the blood, through the blood of the Hebrew people. He had them there. They rejected him. God's not sending another one back. He's sending the same one back. He is the kinsman redeemer. It was important that he was all Hebrew, that he be the kinsman redeemer. The only thing accomplished by the rejection of him the first time is 40 more years of misery. The only thing they accomplished by rejecting him the, the first time is 40 more years of slavery, 40 more years of the turmoil they're going through. Jesus came and his own received him not. God doesn't have another Jesus in mind. When them men there in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, them two white men in white apparel after Jesus sent, he said, Why do you men stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which you've seen taken up before you into heaven, shall so come in like manner. There wasn't another Moses. God just put Moses on the backside of the Midian Desert in a faraway land. Forty years later, he brought back the same Moses to deliver his people. Stephen's trying to make a point. It's the same Jesus. You've rejected Jesus. He still loves his people. He's gone to a faraway land, but he loves his people just as much, and he's coming back to get his people. Stephen's just trying to show them how they have constantly, over the years, time and time again, rejected everyone that God has sent. And they rejected Moses. There wasn't anybody else coming. So the same Moses came back. Verse number 37. He says, This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear. Stephen reminds them of the words that, that was prophesied by Moses back in Deuteronomy. I mean, they're talking about Moses. Let's talk about what Moses said. Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord thy God will raise up a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and unto him ye shall hearken. Stephen, Stephen has driven home a point right here that none of them can deny. This is the Sanhedrin that he's talking to. This is the most educated, religious, elite people of all the nation of Israel. These are the ones that are the keepers of the law, the keepers of the temple. They know the law and the prophets better than anybody there. What we call the Old Testament to them was the law and the prophets. They know very well what Stephen is talking about. He's not teaching them anything here. He's reminding them of everything. Don't, he's like, don't you see? Don't, don't you see from, from the promise of Abraham? Don't you see 
with Joseph? Don't, don't you see with Moses? Don't you see with Jesus? Don't you see how all this lines up? Can't you see it? He's simply just trying to show them who Jesus is. Verse 38 says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. In the wilderness, Israel would be called the church, the ecclesia of God. The church is the called out ones. So basically, if there was a church in the Old Testament, it would be the nation of Israel. That was the called out ones, the appointed ones, separated from the Gentiles, called out to be God's people, called out to be something separate from the rest. The church as we know it today here in the New Testament, that church was not yet born until Jesus Christ came established the new, fulfilled the old. It wasn't formed until the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, when the Holy Spirit came into that room where the disciples and all the people were gathered. The Holy Spirit came in. That was the beginning of the church. It was a supernatural beginning when the Holy Spirit came into that room. It'll be a supernatural end when the Son of the living God comes back and calls his people out in the rapture. At the point when the Holy Spirit came, that began the church age. At the day when the trump of God sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall rise up to meet in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. At that moment, the church age ends and the tribulation begins. Stephen's just trying to get them to see where they are. Jesus Christ brought the New Testament under the blood at Calvary. Matter of fact, there's another good parallel right there if you look at Moses when he went back and he redeemed the children of Israel if you remember somebody tell me what was the last plague the death of the firstborn but you remember what he told his own do a Passover you kill a lamb and you take the blood and you put it on the doorpost and the lintel matter of fact Paul Hutchins did an illustration of it several years ago that was really cool when you put blood on the lintel and you put blood on the doorpost, you got a doorpost on both sides. When you put it on a lintel, it drops down and represents the feet, and it paints a perfect picture of the cross. He said you kill a lamb and you, you put the blood on the doorpost so they were saved through the blood at the Passover. They were saved through the water at the Red Sea. They were invited to the table of God when he put manna on the ground. They ate heavenly food on this earth, something we ain't ever done. Everything we got to give from God, but there was manna sent from heaven. He ate angels' food. They had angels' food, so they were, they were saved through the blood, then they were saved through the water, and then they were given angels' food. They, they dined at the table. It's no different than what Christ did for us. We are saved through the blood of Jesus. We're saved through the water. We're, we mark through the water uh, of baptism. And one day when Jesus comes and gets us, I'm ready for some groceries because he said there's going to be a supper at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I wonder what that's going to be like. Man, I, I hope it's got all kind of sugar and cake and good stuff and calories don't matter. You don't have to work none of it off. You don't have to exercise to get rid of it. I saw something this week that I want to find out how to do it. It said, I wish I could just drop my body off at the gym and pick it up when it's ready. Wouldn't that be nice? I go eat some cheesecake while they get my body ready. Well, anyway, there's a day coming. Marriage supper, the lamb's waiting, and, and, and we're going to have a good time when we get there. 
In verse number 39, still in Acts chapter 7, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and their hearts turned back again into Egypt. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You, you spent all them years in it, now you're rejected. You spent 40 more years, now you've been delivered, and they want to turn back to Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods, little g gods, to go before us. For as this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. Mm, mm, mm. Verse number 41, they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. The Sanhedrin councils got everything right in front of them. They have the scriptures, they have Isaiah, they have the prophets, they have access to all of the scriptures right in front of them. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God wrote the law with his own finger. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt the reason that they're accusing Stephen of blasphemy here is because he said the law is not eternal. They're calling it the law of Moses. They know for a fact that Moses went up on that mountain. They know for a fact that his face shone when he come back down from being in the presence of God. They know for a fact that God with his own finger wrote the Ten Commandments of the law. And now they're like, well, this Moses, we don't, we don't know what happened to him. So, so Moses was rejected the first time. That's what Stephen's trying to show him when he comes back. You're doing the same thing to Jesus. He, he's trying to establish the pattern. Israel has this long history of rejecting the ones that God sent. The very first law that is written by the finger of God, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 2 says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So he reminds them exactly who he is, and he gives them the first law. Thou shalt have... No other gods before me. In verse number four, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the, of the, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But the very first thing that they did while God was writing the commandment was build a golden calf. And to top it off, make it even worse, Aaron's supposed to be their priest. He's supposed to be their spiritual leader, and he's the one fashioning the calf. Verse number 42, it says that God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, ye have offered to me a slain beast and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness. You took up the tabernacle of Malak, and the star of your God, Remphon, and figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Stephen shows them how from the very beginning they have rejected God. They rejected God in the wilderness. They continue to reject God all the way to the carrying away of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The reason they were carried away, the reason the northern kingdom was destroyed, was because of idol worship. Stephen's trying to show them the repetitiveness of all of it. So they, they made this golden calf, right? We know the story. He's up there, and, and they made this golden calf down there. The golden calf became the official religion of the northern kingdom, which would be called Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. It became the, the official religion of, of Jeroboam. Y'all remember when Jeroboam was the king, and, and he led the, the nation of Israel away from God? To add insult to injury. After they get in the promised land, they adopt all of the false gods of the land where they came. 
After they crossed over, Joshua told them in 24, 15, before they ever crossed over, choose ye this day whom you'll serve, whether it be the gods of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordans or the Jebusites in whose land ye dwell. You choose who you want to serve, some, some gods over there that your fathers served on the other side of Jordan or, or over here, these Amorites, these Jebusites, all the people that our God defeated, their fake gods. You decide who you want to serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So what we find out when they got over there, they chose to serve the gods that God himself had already conquered. They chose to serve the, the little G gods. Now, Stephen mentions Malek there in verse number 43. If you study back in Malek, that is one of the harshest religions probably written about in the history of man. They're some of the most disgusting child sacrifice in that religion. If you look back and study where that's at, man, that is a horrific horrific religion where they brutally sacrificed their children before God, they took on that religion. But then he says that, that they went on with, with Remphon. Remphon is worship of the planets, worship of the stars. It's worship of the outer things. So they, they go to worship stars rather than worship the one that hung the stars. They, they go to worship stars that they can't reach rather than worship the one that telleth the number of the stars and calleth them all by name. So, so they, they, the, very, the very first commandment that God gave them, no other gods. Second one, no images. You don't worship any of that. He says, we have consistently broken that law. Stephen's making a direct point to show them that over the years, you're accusing me of blasphemy? You're accusing me of blasphemy against the law, and this is what the nation of Israel has done over all these years? You wonder why we, we were under the rule of the Babylonians? You wonder why now we're under the rule of the Romans? It's because we've been blaspheming God from day one. And now you want to accuse me of blasphemy. He says, oh, you're doing a good job of pretending to serve God. You're doing a good job of acting holier than thou. You're doing a good job of dressing up in all your fine clothes. As, as Jesus told them, you men do appear beautiful on the outside with all your garment. You talk a good talk. You got a good smooth line going. But as Jesus said inside, you're full of dead men's bones. He said, y'all, there's nothing but wicked inside of there. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 7, he said, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You say you're keeping the scriptures. That's what Stephen's telling them. You say you're keeping the scriptures. Look at Moses. Look at what they did. Look at the law. Look at how God sent them back. God sent the same deliverer back. Can't you see who Jesus is? He's not worried about getting off the hook right here. He's not worried. Stone me if you want to. Glory to God, I will close my eyes here and look on the face of Jesus Christ. I couldn't care less. He's not worried one bit about dying. He's not one bit of, worried one bit about proving his innocence. He doesn't need any of that. What he wants is for them to see Jesus. What he wants is for them to see the cross of Calvary. You didn't put him on that cross. He got on that cross. You, you didn't kill him. He chose to die. He came to die. That's the reason he came in the first place. But he's coming back. You think you got rid of him. But he said, I'm coming back. He said, I'll rise on the third day. He already did that. But he says he's coming back. He's going to do that. 
Stephen's just trying to make a point. He's trying to let them see, and, and nothing has changed. I don't know when the postponed kingdom ends. None of us do. When the trumpet shall sound, that's when, that's when things end and start changing. Then you got the seven-year tribulation period, but then you got that thousand-year millennial reign, and that's when it all starts changing for the nation of Israel. And he's not trying to get out there and put all that out there. Stephen's just trying to get them to see, can't you see who Jesus is? Can't you see that he only came because he loves us? Can't you see he's the redeemer that, that God has sent? He's accused of blasphemy against the law of Moses because he said that the law of Moses wasn't an eternal law. He's just trying to get them to see the goodness of God. Then he's also accused of blasphemy against the temple because he says that the temple isn't eternal. Jesus said that thing himself. He's talking about the temple being his body raised up on the third day. But he really takes on a whole different line of, of argument here as he goes to uh, trying to get them to see um, how the, the temple is just a forerunner of things to come. It, it started out, it was just that tent. God gave Moses all the details, how to do everything from the bronze labors all the way into the Holy of Holies, how the veil was to be done, how the tent was to be done, how all of the tribes had to count, how the 12 tribes had to be all around it. Everything was in perfect order. Now it's become those massive buildings that they built. But not, those, those are nothing but a picture of what's to come. There's a better day coming. The Lord willing, we're going to start out there next week where he starts up with the temple, and we'll, we'll take a look at that. Um, I would appreciate if, if, you didn't, if you didn't get a chance to write down in the prayer request something. Maybe you could just go back and watch the first part of this and pull it up. Also, if you go to thefacelagrange.com, look under resources, go to that prayer list. It's there for a reason. I know we've added three or four names to that prayer list this week. Some are church members, some are family and friends of church members, please go there and pray. Raise your hand if you believe in the power of prayer. They're counting on that. They're counting on that. If, if my name was on there, I mean, if I had something bad enough to call and get my name on there, I'd be counting on, I'd be counting on us, amen? So I want to ask you if you would, make sure you go over these prayer requests that's here and, and look on the prayer list on the website and make sure we pray for those people. But we pray with great expectations, amen? Able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Well, sometimes, anybody besides me ever pray for stuff? Especially when it involves cancer or, or battles that you've seen lost so many times. You feel a little defeated. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't feel like you got the faith you ought to have. But one faith that don't ever get weak is I know you can. I know you can. I don't, I don't know if you will. I don't know what you're going to do, but I do know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know you can. So we pray with earnest expectations. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you, Lord, for this absolutely perfect book that cannot be refuted from in the beginning to amen, perfect and holy and righteous and complete, God. Thank you for it. Thank you for the guideline that it is in our life. Thank you that we can lean on you, God. I pray, Father, you'd help each one of us, Father, to lean on you, hold your hand. I pray you'd help each one of us to walk in the perfect plan that you have for our lives, God. We just want to be in the center of your perfect will, not ahead, not behind, not left, not right. Lord, we want to be exactly where you want us to be. I pray you'd help us to live in the center of your will that people might see Christ in us, Lord. 
pray, God, you'd help us. Help us, God, to show the world Jesus Christ. Lord, I see Stephen trying so hard here. Lord, it, it seems like a lot of the people that we talk to today might as well be these same Pharisees. They might as well be these same Sadducees. You can talk to them till you're blue in the face, and it's like they don't get it. God, I pray you'd help us, Father. I pray you'd send the Holy Spirit before us and break some people's hearts, God. I pray you'd speak through us that souls would be saved. Help us, God, to be kingdom builders, Lord. Lord, we may not can take any of this junk with us, nor do we want it when we come, but we can take people around us with us when we go, Father. I pray you'd help us to be successful at that. Use us, God, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray.